wanted to play baseball at the time. And uh, I was on a team called SNR, which is Seneca River North. I grew up in the Syracuse area, and it's a team that still exists. And I remember there was a field that no longer exists, but it was right on Onondaga Lake Parkway. And it was like a big deal to play there. It was the finals of, the, of basically the summer league. And uh, I just remember the excitement, the buzz around it. And um, I remember I was up to bat, and it was kind of one of those, like, against all odd moments, like, what's going to happen? And um, this pitcher was backing me off the plate. He was pitching inside, and so I'm backing up. And if you're not a sports fan, just bear with me. I'll try to keep the specific references to a, a minimum. But he's backing me off the plate, and I'm kind of looking at him, and I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, if he hits me, I win. If, uh, if he doesn't, then I'm going to get a hit. And sure enough, he's trying to back me off the plate, which if you play baseball at, all, baseball at all, that means eventually he's setting me up to pitch me low and away. You guys know that, right? Yeah. I can see all the people's heads shaking. Yeah, nobody gives a rip. In either case, sure enough, he pitches outside the way, and I reach out, and I hit right off the end of the barrel of the bat, right between the first and second baseman, and I start tearing down first base, and I mean, just the excitement. We're playing under the lights. It's in the dark. My parents are there, friends, family. I round first as I see them throw to catch the guy at home, and I stretch a single into a double. I slide into second, dirt in my face, safe. It was amazing. Incredible. The game goes on. I steal third base, which is a big deal. I am a little fast. I'm not the greatest baseball player, but I am fairly quick. I was. <laughs> Don't race me today. <laughs> I was fairly fast. So I stole third base. And, um, and so I'm on third, and now I can just get into the pitcher's head. I'm slapping my hands. I'm jumping down the baseline. And I can see that I'm rattling him. Everything I love about the game is being played out in this moment. He shook a little bit, and he hangs a curveball, and the guy just lights it up, and I run home, score, we end up winning the game. Just remember the moment, the excitement of it all, like victory, finally. I remember jumping up and down as, uh, as I'm moving into the, the car in the parking lot, we're talking, kind of replaying all the different moments of the baseball game. I see the pitcher, the opposing pitcher, devastated, just absolutely devastated crying, throwing his glove on the ground. And I see his dad look at him and say, well, it's not that much of a shock to me. I've always been a loser. And like in a moment, I'm actually having like a little bit of an emotional reaction right now because I just remember the devastation on his face. And in one of my greatest victories, I see this boy's life shattered. Just shattered. He's devastated. It's incredible. Sometimes our victories come at the expense of others. Victories. So I ask you a question as we move into the text today. What would you consider your greatest victory? What would you consider your greatest victory? Was it at the expense of someone else? I mean, that's the reality. If you win, somebody else lost. Was it a moment in the past? Like, oh, that was my greatest victory. Trust me, I used to be fast. Oh, it was impressive. Just ask my friends, they were there. <laughs> Is your greatest victory over? Is it done? Did it already happen? Some of us that are optimistic would say, well, my greatest victory is the next one. Are our victories temporal? Are they forgotten? 
You know, they say the lowest form of communication is remember when. That when you get into a group of people, you're not forming new thoughts, you're not talking about the present, you're instead gathering together and saying, hey, remember when? Lowest form of communication. It's the low-hanging fruit. You need to remind other people of how awesome you were. <laughs> Be like, dude, in high school, wow, I was awesome. And in gym class, don't even get me started. <laughs> I was the man. <laughs> you have to gather people around and kind of conjure up the memories, the victories, the past victories. Listen, life before was awesome. And here's the deal. <laughs> we always remember the past delusion. Delusion, right? Like, man, high school was awesome. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> you're like, you're in high school now. You're like, yeah, no joke. But you would say like, oh man, junior high, that was the coolest. No, what? Like, we always loved the season before. The remember when. Romanticize about it. We as humans, not as Christians, as humans, all of us in this room, we want to know that we have value. That we matter. That our one and only life matters. That it amounts to something. And so we look at the past victories and we point to them as indicators of value within our own life. And we look at our defeats. And we say, you know what, maybe that sums us up too. Maybe I'm the loser they said I was. Maybe I'm as broken as I feared. Maybe as, I'm, I'm as, I'm as imperfect as hurtful people have told me. What if, what if your life does in fact have purpose. And by the way, I know we all believe on some level that our lives have purpose, but I don't just mean general purpose and going through the motions. I mean, what if your life had greater purpose than you realize? What if, what if everything was greater than you realize? And I, I don't mean vocation. I don't mean what you do for a living. I don't mean like your value attached to the last sporting event. I don't mean value attached to the grades that you get. I'm talking about something that runs deeper than how you would say like, well, I'm a mom, or yeah, I'm a dad, or I'm a business owner, I'm an athlete. Maybe even greater than what you view your future to be. Well, I mean, the reason I'm living the way that I am is because I'm gonna create a legacy for my kids, for my grandkids. What if your purpose was greater. Greater than all of that. I mean a legacy. And I know that you might say, well, you're talking about legacy-related things. I mean eternal legacy. Something that is happening within the heavenly. Something that has eternal impact. That when everything is passed, when all is said and done, when this life is over, there will be eternal impact as a result of the way you lived your one and only life. Eternal legacy. Is it possible that you're in fact part of something divine? Something eternal? A story that God himself, the creator of all things, has intentionally written you in. That your life has divine purpose and meaning. It's an exciting thought, but at the same time, we, we quickly disqualify ourselves. But I want to tell you that's what today's pericope, today's section of scripture is all about. I want to reread for a moment 
verses 1 through 3. It says this in verse 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, you might say, what in the world does that text have to do with me? What in the world does that have to do with me at all? And just hang on a second. I, I have to address something that's a little bit more obvious than even that before I get to that point. And the thing that is a little more obvious is that you might be sitting there, if you've ever been in any church whatsoever at any moment in your life, you might say, listen, Claude, you've been pastoring for nearly 25 years and you chose this passage for Easter. What in the crud are you doing? Like, this is not an Easter passage. What are you thinking? I want to tell you, we at Centerway are committed to biblical literacy. And so we dig into scripture. And though we're aware of the calendar, obviously, we're spirit-led as we pray and, uh, and as we gather as a preaching and teaching team and consider what it is that the Lord would have us speak about and lay out these series. And we're constantly and consistently blown away by people that tell us that the text is exactly what they needed to hear. And so I'm completely confident, 100% certain that today's text is what God wants us to hear today. I'm confident of that. Okay, now back to the first thing. You're like, all right, I get it. Fine, you, you think that this is what we should hear, but what in the world does that have to do with me? You might look at this text and at face value say, this passage is two and four church leadership. And I'm not in church leadership. And so what in the world does this have to do with me? And I'm actually confident that this text applies to all of us. To all of us. Let me explain. Peter, who is the author of this letter, he's writing to churches that are in Asia Minor, as we've been talking. If you've been journeying with us through this series, which of course you can always check out online if you're interested. But as I've mentioned in previous weeks, history tells us that at the time of Peter's writing... There aren't churches as we define them today. There are gatherings of people of all different walks of life. They have different ethnicities. They're in different stations of their life, different socioeconomic groups. And so there are all these different people that are being gathered together that have one thing in common. They're committed to following Jesus and living on mission. Living on mission together. They're facing all different forms of suffering. In other words... There's no clear church governance or leadership structure at this time to the people that Peter's writing to. And so he could not be possibly writing to an office of people that have not been formally organized yet. So he's not addressing people formally. He's not, he's not talking to people that hold the office of elder. They had no such structure. Further evidence of this is revealed in how they're addressed. So I'm going to spend just a couple seconds here so we can all understand what it is that I'm talking about. They're addressed in a specific way that is different than in other epistles. Now, an epistle is just like a church way of saying a letter. 
Okay, so you're like, the Bible uh, is letters to different groups of people. And so when a letter is written to a church, it's called an epistle. And so in these other epistles that are written throughout the Bible, when elders are referenced, when they're being spoken to directly, it, sell, it says the elders over you. Or it speaks specifically to a group of people in leadership. And here, the Greek and the English translation actually is very clear. The elders among you. Among you. And then it goes on and it says, fellow elder. All right. Now, Peter is an apostle. So we're talking about this idea of eldership that could be getting a little bit muddy unless you understand kind of the circumstances and what it is that's actually taking place, what the structure looks like. And so I'm going to explain. It's unique, but similar to compound terms used by the Apostle Paul for when he references men and women who worked with him on mission. mission. So he uses a specific compound that is used in ways like fellow worker, fellow soldier, even fellow slave, etc. The list goes on. The point is... This is not an exclusive term. Peter is not talking to an exclusive group of people, but rather it's an inclusive term. He's making a blanket statement to a group of people larger than just specific church leadership. Peter is addressing all of those who join him in mission and consider themselves spiritually maturing as spiritual influencers or spiritual leaders. Now you might say, ah, there you go. That's not me. I'm not a spiritual influencer. I'm not a spiritual leader. Bear with me. In fact, he clarifies, he says, uh, as, a, as a partaker, uh, sorry, he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but he's including them in that grouping. So he's not saying he was a witness. He's saying we, as, as a fellow elder and a fellow witness. Now, the thing that's interesting is obviously the people in Asia Minor, maybe not so obviously, but I'll let you know. The people in Asia Minor were not witnesses to Christ's death. And so he's not making reference to, like, listen, for those of you that saw everything that happened on the cross. In fact, some people argue that Peter may not have even been present himself at the cross. So, he's not making a reference to actual eyewitness. The Greek word for witness here is actually pretty interesting because it's where we get the English word martyr. Martyr. Isn't it interesting that when you witness something, it impacts you to the point where you're willing to live as well as die for it? You saw it. You're a witness. That's why we get that word murder. Really interesting. Peter is clarifying that he is addressing committed followers of Jesus that proclaim they've been transformed by the gospel and live it out. This is for all people that confess that they are a follower of Jesus. And you might be there to say, but I'm not a follower of Jesus, and that's okay. There's actually, actually application for you as well. We'll talk about it. Verse 2 begins, and it starts with this phrase. It says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Now, culturally, ancient shepherds didn't drive sheep. They didn't stand behind and like hit them with sticks and say, go, go, go. Uh, culturally, if you look back at the, the way that ancient shepherds dealt with sheep, they walked in front of them. And they called them to follow. The Apostle Paul actually says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So there's this idea of following people. The idea that others are following you. So, Christian, 
person that would say, listen, I'm a Christian. Whether you would consider yourself a committed Christian or not, but you would say, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. I want to ask you, where will those who follow you find themselves? If they follow you in the rhythms of your life, if they follow you with the affections of your heart, how it is that you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure, what it is that you're leaning into, where will they find themselves? Where are you leading others? Listen, we're all influencers. Every single one of us are influencers. Christians or not. Humans. As humans, we are influencers. We want to think that we can live static lives. That's a nice thought, right? That we just live our lives in this little bubble that like no one can hear us singing. No. <laughs> okay, just <laughs> state the obvious. But wait, <laughs> some of you are like, what? I don't even know. I wasn't listening because I was listening. Yeah, right. Okay, so ask somebody else. If you're watching online, what are you, why are you here? I mean, you're missing so much of it. Anyway, uh, we want to think that we live these static lives that are inconsequential. That, that we don't impact others, that we don't influence others. We want, here it is, to avoid responsibility. That's what we want at our core. We want to say, well, that's not my fault. Like, I mean, I didn't know people were following me. I have a ton of hilarious stories where I actually avoided certain meetings only to arrive at my hotel and find that the group of people that I was at the hotel with followed me thinking I was responsibly going to the conference meeting that was next. Like, oh no, I'm skipping it. Like, we all followed you here. I'm like, bummer, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Where are people following you? The truth is this. I'm going to tell you in advance, you're not going to like it very much. Every single person in this room, we are either influencing people towards Christ or away from Him. You are either influencing people towards Jesus or away from Him. We hate that. Because we want, again, to think that we live this static life. They're like, no, no, I mean, it's, it's really just... Like, it's my thing. Like, I'm in a bad spot right now. But it's not affecting anybody else. Yes, it is. Because there's people following you. There's eyes looking at you. There's children that are looking at you. There's coworkers that are looking at you. There are spouses. There are extended family. There are all these people that are looking at you. And you are either influencing them towards Christ or away from Him. Man, we hate that. We hate that so much because at our core, we just want to avoid responsibility so, so much. Are you following Jesus? Or are you saying that you do? And in fact, you're following the world's definition of success. That when the rubber meets the road, you're leaning all in on what this world defines as success. Are you following Jesus or, or are you doing everything that you can to establish a legacy in this world that people may or may not remember? Are you following Jesus or are you running after something as fading as financial gain? Here you go. Let's just, let's make it real fun. 
Are you following Jesus or are you following a certain political party more? I know some of you are like, come on, Claude, it's Easter. Don't talk about politics. (laughs) But that's real. That's the reality of the world that we live in. The world that we live in wants to divide. They, They want to divide. They want to pick teams. They want to push apart. And what's interesting is when you look all the way back into history, and if you look at the churches in Asia Minor as they're being established, they're all different walks of life. All different ethnicities, all different political perspectives, all different ideas and thoughts. And yet they're gathered together with one thing in common. Jesus. Are you following Jesus above all else? Is that the hill you die on? In the midst of all the other potential things that can divide us, are you saying, listen, but I'm following Jesus. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you as a leader. As a leader. Where are the people that you're discipling following you? And I know some of you might say, "Mm, not a leader. I'm not a leader. Leaders are people who influence others, by definition. And I've already made it clear we all influence. You are a leader, like it or not. You are influencing people. Your one and only life matters. God has written your life. Scripture says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. There is a plan and a purpose for you. Don't discount the importance of your one and only life and don't marginalize the fact that people are following you. You are a leader. You're part of something greater than yourself. What are you doing with it? You're an influencer called by God. Maybe you want to discount yourself because of your mistakes your hurts, your brokenness. I want to tell you that might be what you see. <laughs> but, but God is at work behind the scene. He's been at work behind the scene all along. And he's redeeming your pain. And he's preparing you for the mission that he's called you to. Are you following Jesus above all else? Are you risking it with your one and only life? Are you leaning in? Listen, Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. He chose to go to a cross because of the sin and the brokenness of our lives. And on the third day, he rose. Today we gather. And we celebrate Resurrection Sunday with all other churches across the country, across the world. The day that the stone was rolled away and revealed that a tomb that once held Jesus is now empty. He had victory over sin and death. Do you live changed by that? Do you live changed by that? Because here's the deal. All of a sudden you check your banking account and there's $5 million in there that you didn't have there yesterday. You would live differently as a result of that reality. And that's dollars. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's temporal. We will live our lives differently when we understand something fully. 
Do you live your life because of what Jesus has done? Do you live differently as a result? Verse 4 goes on and says, And when the chief shepherd appears, meaning Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We who profess Christ are under shepherds. We're the royal priesthood of all believers. We have a responsibility to live our lives marked by the truth of the gospel. Your greatest victory was won by Jesus. Your greatest victory was won by Jesus. That should be the thing that changes everything. That should be the thing that informs every circle of influence that you find yourself in. Some of us resist that victory. And so if you're in the room or listening or watching and you say, listen, you've been talking mostly to Christians at this point. I want to let you know I'm speaking to all people right now, specifically those that, that question whether or not there is a God or those that would say that there is no God. Some of you resist that victory because influencers influenced you away from Jesus by misrepresenting him. And you can say that they're to blame all you want, but at some point you take responsibility for that which you believe, for that which you decide, and that which you live your lives according. So let me ask, will you allow others to determine your relationship with God? Think about that for a second. Think about that. The biggest issue that people have, and and I'll tell you, I'm a pastor. I know, shocker, in case you didn't know that. I'm a pastor, and so I find myself in the midst of conversations with people often about their issues with the church, their issues with God. And what's interesting is most of their issues with God and church are tied up in someone that has misrepresented him. Like, like, wait, no, I'm asking you about your relationship with God. Yeah, I know, but like, that person, blah, 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 blah. And like, yeah, but that's a person. I mean, I've been misrepresented. Obviously, people will misrepresent God. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And so you're living your one and only life and you're banking your eternity on someone that may have misrepresented God? We give way too much authority to others. Think about that for a second. This is your one and only life. Have you placed it in the hands of others? Have you placed it in the hands of people that misrepresent God? Have you placed it in the midst of those that are hurt? And so they've hurt you. You say, no, my problem, my problem is God. There's hurt in the world. You know, what's interesting is there's hurt in the world because of sin. That fractured the world. That is a responsibility of mankind. Humankind, We are sinners and we're broken. The answer to our problems is at the cross where Jesus repaired our relationship with God. And so we can try to make people better versions of themselves. And we can try real hard to be better versions of ourselves. But the only way that we transcend the brokenness of humanity is to lean into the truth of the cross and allow the gospel to transform us. To do in a moment what others could never do. 
Let me ask you, will you allow others to determine your relationship with God? So, fast forward. Against all odds, I'm playing baseball in college now. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little better than I lead on to. But I'm sitting there and uh, now I'm pitching. And uh, the bases are loaded. And uh, there's this really big dude up to bat. I'm at Nyack, if you're familiar with the college. I remember it well, and some of you have heard versions of this story. But I'm looking at this guy, and I don't know, he's maybe like 6'5", like 250. I mean, he was just jacked. He's huge. And so he's up to bat. He's their cleanup hitter. And um, I'm not too optimistic. But I can play some pretty good mental games. And uh, so I'm thinking, I'm going to back this joker up off the plate. Like, and so I throw high and tight, and, uh, and he stays right in the box and looks at me like, that's cute. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I throw a little harder, and he fouls a, uh, a ball off and, um, you know, I don't know, probably killed somebody. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Strike one, one and one. I got some to, to waste. If you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, some of you are like, what are you talking about? I, I have some balls I can throw without giving too much away, but the bases are loaded and I don't want to walk him. And so I pitch around him a couple times. And he's just looking at me because he knows I have to throw it. I got to strike him out because I'm not going to walk or run in. I'm not going to play like that. And so I give him a four-seam fastball right on the inside of the plate, and it was a beauty. And he swings, and because of the presence of Jesus Christ himself, <laughs> he misses this ball. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm getting a little bit worked up, and I'm like, all right. I turn around, and my shortstop's looking at me like, you don't got this. I'm like, I know I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the rosin bag a little bit, look at him like, what do I want to see you destroy today? <laughs> so I try to throw a, a change up, which starts on the outside and kind of tails into the batter a little bit. And so sure enough, I throw it and it's a beauty. And I'm thinking, I threw the other one so hard and he missed. He's going to be out in front of this. But he doesn't fairly good baseball player, that gentleman. Um, and so he sits back on it. And uh, my ball comes right across the middle of the plate. And he just, boom. I mean, the farthest ball I've ever seen anyone hit in my life. By far the furthest ball anybody has ever hit off me. I just stood there amazed. He hit it and I was like, whoa. I was like, holy cow. And this ball kept going and going and going. If you've ever been to Nyack, there is a brick wall, like a stone wall that's in the outfield that's just past, I don't know, 10 miles, not really. But it's far. And then the ground kind of goes up and a hill a little bit. And then there's a brick building that I believe is a residence hall. This ball hit about two feet up on that residence hall. A bomb. An absolute bomb. Home run, they're jogging around. And I'm like, holy smokes. I just lost this game. Big time. 
And so the game is over. And we're getting on the bus and we're getting ready to head back to school. And uh, as I'm getting on the bus, I'm coming up and my coach looks at me. He goes, hey, Claude. I go, yeah. He's like, not so good today. It's like, no, coach, it's pretty bad. He goes, yeah, but you know what? One pitch doesn't define you. It's good advice, right? I wish that we could turn back the clock and I had the gumption, the wisdom, I don't know, the guts to walk over to that kid as his father belittled him and tell him, listen, this doesn't define you. The point is, in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of experiencing losses and devastation all throughout my life, it, I was able to believe that that loss didn't define me because I was prepared my whole life to know that my identity and my worth is not attached to a stupid game. It's just not. I want to tell you, the things that people have spoken into your life in the darkest, lowest moments of your life, the things where people have told you that you're a loser, you're broken, or you're as dumb as, as you thought you were, or all those lies. I want to tell you that all the while, God was at work behind the scene. And maybe, just maybe, it was about preparing. I've got great news. It's not too late for you today. There's no reason for you to regret there's no reason for you to sit there and say, yeah, but I've, I've led too many people down the wrong path. I've done too many wrong things. I'm just too broken. All the lists of all the lies. There's no reason for regret. Because what if? <laughs> what if even in our disobedience, in our brokenness, in our perceived victories, and in our suffering, what if God was at work behind the scenes? What if God never left us or forsake us? What if, what if God was with us all along in the valleys of the shadow of death, in the midst of the brokenness? What if what you thought would be your end was actually God saying, I'll redeem even this. I'll redeem even this. And some of you, you're going through the valley right now. The brokenness, the depth of the hurt. The shame, the suffering. Some of you are on the mountaintops. <laughs> and you're saying, this victory is mine. This is the greatest moment of my life. But what if all of it was actually about preparation? And as an act of grace, God will turn your past into preparation for your future. In active grace, he will leverage all of the brokenness towards the preparation for your future. And I want to tell you the what if? He is. He is. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel, is that your identity is not found in how you perform or how you fail, what it is that you do right, what it is that you do wrong. Your identity is child of God. Why? Because Jesus died on a cross. And he rose again so that you and I could be children of the living God. He's preparing. You will reach people that others can't. Your story is a story of redemption and grace and divine favor. Get this. It's our awareness of our brokenness and our depravity 
that we function in humility. That's how we find humility. If you had no failures, you would be the most arrogant, pompous person in the world. Think about that. Maybe you've met that kid. My, my kids played sports when they were really young. They had some kids on their team that just had not lost quite enough yet. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, no, I am the man. I'm like, no, you are not the man. I'm pretty sure I'm awesome. I'm like, I believe you think you're awesome. It's our brokenness, our depravity that drives us towards humility. You see, when we realize that we cannot take effort, we can't take the win, we can't say, I earned my salvation. Instead, we say, I earned what Jesus took. I earned the cross. And the only thing I contribute to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's humbling. That's humility that moves us to mission. And verse 5 goes on and says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When it's saying those who are younger, he's talking about those that are younger in the faith. Those that are in the beginning moments of, of their faith journey. Humble yourself. Be aware of the gospel. Be aware that you have done nothing to earn your salvation. Wherever you are on your journey, humility. And humility was a word, as we've talked in in past weeks, we've spoken about. It was disdain in the Greco-Roman world. A form of weakness. But humility is expressed in the willingness to serve others beyond our own self-interest. Think about that. We have a self-interest. And yet in the midst of it, we're willing to serve others. That's humility by definition. That's what Jesus did. The gospel transforms us. You see, we're generous because Jesus was generous to us. We love because we're loved. If your love is so shallow that it only loves when it's loved in return, then it's not love. We love others and expect nothing in return because Jesus loved us while we were his enemies. You see, that's what the gospel does. We forgive because we are forgiven. Like, no, 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 we, we forgive when they make it right. That's what the world says. Like that, that's, There's nothing honorable about that. There's nothing impressive about that, right? You can love the lovable and you can forgive those that ask for forgiveness when they humble themselves, but... But the gospel says we love even our enemies. We love the unlovable. We forgive those that don't deserve forgiveness. You know why? Because we don't deserve it. The gospel must reorient our hearts and our priorities. It should wreck us. We should be wrecked by the truth of the gospel. And every influence, every circle we find ourselves in should have the ripple effect of the redeeming work of the truth of the gospel in our lives. That's how you bring about change. You don't bring about change by taking a stand on something that divides. No, you change something by walking in and being an influencer of grace and mercy in the midst of brokenness where people want hope. They want joy. They want peace. And I want to tell you, the gospel reorients our hearts and priorities. And that is what Easter is about. 
That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. We live differently because Jesus is our greatest victory. It's all there. That's where we put our stake in the ground and say it's because of Him. Above all else, He defines our worth. We say every week, the text requires something of us. And so wherever you might find yourself, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to to maybe write this phrase out in your scripture journal if you have one, or in your phone or whatever. It is this. I will respond to God's grace by. And then fill it in. I will respond to God's grace by. You see, it's one thing to, to attend church to check that box, but will you leave this place applying it to your life? Saying, you know what? I'm going to respond to God's grace by what? If you would, just bow your heads. And if you want, you can close your eyes, but we're not going to do anything creepy. It's just the worship team is going to make their way forward, and I don't want you to be distracted. So with your head bowed or your eyes closed or however you want, if you can continue to look at me and not be distracted, that's fine too. I just want you to reflect for a moment. Maybe you will respond to God's grace by surrendering. Maybe that's what's being required of you today. Maybe your next step, your application today is to surrender, to come into relationship with the Lord. And so maybe today you'll respond to God's grace by asking Him to be the Lord and leader of your life. And I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything or say anything, and this isn't about embarrassing anybody or counting heads or anything like that. This is about a moment where you have the opportunity to make a decision if you want. And it shouldn't be an emotional decision. It should be an informed one. And so if you're not there yet, then continue to search. Continue to gather information. But if you are there and you say, listen, I want to cross that line of salvation. I want to be in relationship with the Lord today. It's as simple as praying a prayer. And it's not a special prayer that you need to repeat word for word. It's acknowledging that Jesus died the death that you deserve. And in the quietness of your mind right now, you can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Say something along the lines of acknowledging that he died on the cross for you. God, you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. That's it. Some, some prayer along those lines begins a relationship. And I would love to have a conversation with you. One of the things that will happen when this is all over is I'll go over to the next steps area by the door. And several people will come and talk to me about a lot of different things. And if you have prayed that prayer today and you want to know what your next step is, I'd love to talk to you about it. So that it's not just an emotional reaction or a moment that you say, hey, remember when? <laughs> remember when I went to that church and that guy, I don't even remember his name, the bald dude, you know what I'm talking about. It's more than that. It'd be lasting. There'd be a ripple effect, a ripple effect into every sphere of influence that you find yourself in. And if you're watching live right now online, you can click request prayer and you go into a private chat with one of our pastors and they'll talk to you about your next steps. If you're watching or listening to this later, you can always check out our website or reach out to us via email. We'd love to talk to you about your next steps. For those of us that are saying, you know what, I've already prayed that prayer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to challenge you. How will you respond to God's grace? Is it maybe by forgiving someone? And maybe it needs forgiving them right now in this, in this room, in the quietness of your own mind. It, it, it doesn't need to be a conversation. Maybe it's just you saying, I'm, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to forgive them. Not because they deserve it, but because 
I'm not going to allow them to have authority in my life anymore. So I'm going to forgive them. Maybe for some of you it doesn't mean a conversation where you need to admit that you were wrong. For some of you, you'll respond to God's grace by forgiving yourself. You forgive yourself? Some of us are the worst critics of ourselves, man. We can beat each we can beat ourselves up better than any of anybody else. Would you forgive yourself? Because of that which Christ has done, would you allow the God of heaven to do a work in you and say, okay, God, I'm broken? Will you respond to God's grace by living on mission? By focusing on the eternal rather than the temporal. Acknowledge that you're an influencer wherever God places you. Say, okay, God, I'm available. I'm available for that which you have redeemed, for what you are doing. So I'm just going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to respond in worship to God that is so worthy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that your grace would be evident in and through our lives. We declare ourselves available, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. And so we worship you today because you are worthy. And we take up the responsibility of influencing. And we ask that the the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would, would transform our hearts, would reorient our minds. God, we declare ourselves available to be a part of what you are doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. If you want to stand with us, you can. If you want to stay seated or journal or make an altar right where you are, that's fine. We're just going to sing some songs that give voice to the message today. And if you're in the beginning of your faith journey or maybe you don't know these songs, that's okay. You can honestly make this your confession even before you own it. But would you just worship with us this morning?
take our mess and you make it beautiful. In a world where we seem invisible at times, you really see us and you know us. Jesus, on this day that we celebrate, the day that it changed everything, help us not to lose the wonder of it. Help it not just be so familiar that we forget the magnitude of what you've done for us. So we stand in awe of you today, Jesus.
that which you have done and for that which you are doing. And we're grateful that we get to be a part of it, that we get to do this, that we get to do this, Lord. And so we declare ourselves available to be part of the story that you're writing, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those that you place us in influence, that we would be influencers for an eternal legacy, draw people closer to you for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. I'm gonna give you some uh, some logistics, uh, just so that it's kind of announcey. I apologize for that. Uh, there is a, uh, a photography area in the back. We'd love for you to take a picture, but I also uh, wanna let you obviously crush all the food, eat it all. We have a lot here, drink a lot of coffee. But I wanna give you a little bit of detail, kind of an announcement. Um, uh, this past weekend, our students were at a convention, a statewide convention. There were uh, nearly, nearly 2,000. Uh, yeah, they're really excited about it. So a couple thousand um, teenagers that gathered at the SRC Arena. And one of the things that they were challenged to do there was to um, purchase a vehicle for a missionary. And so the students there gave $16,000. Uh, towards a $30,000 vehicle for a missionary. And so uh, I'm friends with the speaker at that uh, convention. And so he texted a group of pastors and 14 of us and said, hey, if you're willing to give a thousand bucks, we can actually purchase this vehicle and you can be a part of what it is that they're doing. Now, the thing that's pretty cool about that is if you don't know, if this is your first time here or whatever, uh, the Centerway is only four years old. <laughs> so we're a fairly young church and pretty, pretty cool to think that this guy says, you know what, you guys are givers to the point where of, of 380 pastors across New York State, I'm going to ask you to be one of these 14. And because you guys, you've heard us say this, because you guys give regularly, we can respond immediately. And so I was able to say, yes, absolutely, we'll give a thousand bucks. And so there were 14 other, uh, 13 other pastors that gave that thousand bucks. And so they were able to announce to those students that they're purchasing a $30,000 vehicle to go to that missionary. Now, yeah, give them a round of applause also. Yeah. The reason I share that, though, is because um, there were a couple parents that heard about this and they said, hey, could we give to that? And so I'm not trying to get money. We're not about money here. Like I said, there are people that a sign of spiritual maturity is giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And so I'm not trying to get money out of anybody. You can feel there are people that give here uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. But if you feel compelled to give towards that, all the money that comes in will go towards uh, missionaries. Uh, you just have to write STL on your centerway envelope if you give. Um, I'm going to put that up on our online giving. It's not there yet. It will be there before the end of the week. If you feel compelled to give towards that, any any money that comes in above the thousand will give it. And so uh, I'm just letting you know, make, if you are making a check out, make it out to centerway so we can send one check in. I just want to give you opportunity for those that want opportunity. That's it. You don't want to. The check's already in the It's going. Okay. We're going to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. We're excited about it. So I'm grateful. Um, to be a part of what God is doing, not only in this and surrounding communities, but across the globe for God's glory. And it's just, it's a testimony of your guys' faithfulness to give. And so we're grateful, we celebrate that. And um, just wanted to make that announcement for those of you that might be interested. Otherwise, no pressure on anybody else. Hang around. If you don't know people, introduce yourself. I know it can be kind of weird, but let's do it. It'll be fun. Tons of food, tons of coffee, grab pictures. The worship team will keep playing. God bless you as you go. Next week we finish the series. You won't want to miss it.